0: Hello and welcome back to or welcome to Lunch with Auntie. This is season two. This is a complete reboot of a very, very similar concept if you are new with us. Um, hi, welcome. Nice to meet you. I'm Hannah. I'm a 19-year-old college student who is here to help share the stories of brilliant, successful women. I get to learn so much from these exceptional women. Um, some of them are part of my life. Some of them I reach out to. Um, and I really hope that this podcast like helps you do the same. Since we last an episode here, I have completed my first year and a half at Dartmouth College, which is absolutely crazy for me. So that's why this whole thing is going through a season two reboot. The last time we talked, I had just graduated high school um, and I was just about to head off to Dartmouth College. And this was what I was doing with kind of COVID, lockdown and all that. Now, here we are a year and a half later, hopefully we're coming out of this pandemic really, really soon. And as we move into that, it's like a new part of life for me. Um, and a new part of lunch with auntie so a movement from high school Hannah to um, college Hannah I still want to learn so much from these incredible women um, it's just I'm in a different part of my life so the questions will be slightly different um, tailored slightly differently but generally it is the same basic concept I know these incredible women and um, And I say incredible women a lot, but that's what they really, really are, who are truly visionaries and exceptional innovators within their field. And I mean, like, a wide range of industries. And so these are just a collection of interviews of sharing their stories through a lens of a 1920 College Hannah version of me. Um, And I really, really want to showcase, especially Asian women, Um, And I want to help you, you know, learn from them as well. From women in med tech to fintech to creatives, there's truly a story worth listening to from all of these incredible women. And I'm just the platform that that we can share their story with. But on that note, you're not here to hear from me. That is what season two Lunch with Auntie is going to be about. I would love to introduce you to our first guest, the absolutely incredible Harjit Gill. Um, a little bit about a little bit about Harja is I got to know her a lot better over this like Christmas period. But really her work in you know med tech and in the fields that she's the intersectional fields that she's working in right now is just so, so vital to a post-pandemic world. Um I've already learned a lot from her, and I learned so much during this interview. Um, so I really, really hope you listen to the end and you know learn as much as I did from her. But a little bit about her, she spent 25 years at Philips. And she then moved out of that massive company into, and she worked her way through. She worked in, you know, Europe. She worked in Asia. She became CEO of the region here. So she was super high up in Philips. And then there was, a movement out of, um, there was a movement out of Philips into being a part of these boards and as an advisor and as a more generalist in her own capacity and sitting on these boards and studying her own things. Um, particularly what we talked about was like med tech and how she has spent, you know, years working in the kind of industry in a big, uh, from a big company with MedTech into, you know, advising on boards in smaller companies, and companies that are rapidly growing. She also talks a lot about social entrepreneurship and impact investing, uh, which are more buzzwords than, you know, what she used, but it's kind of what I'm gathering from it, and she really, you know, talks about what she did right in her career to get her to where she is today which is in an incredible position where she can you know be invested in her career and in what she's doing give back to the community and also have time to talk to like people like me who are just interested um about her field so without further ado um this is the podcast that I sat down with Harjit Gill to talk about. I just wanted to kind of start to ask a little bit about your time at Phillips. obviously I totally want to move on to you know your med tech and what you are doing now and the advising and that kind of thing. But I would love to just start by asking questions about um, Philips, what it was like over that 25 year period. You obviously um, worked a lot with emerging markets in like Dubai, Singapore, Hong Kong, back to the Netherlands. Um, How was that like working your way up through a company and staying with such a massive company for so many years?
1: Yeah, no, happy to take that. Uh, question so first of all Philips I think I don't know if many people know uh, much about Philips it's a Dutch company over a hundred years old um, and used to in the time that I was there uh, be busy with many different sectors but mostly consumer goods lighting and healthcare and so for the most of my career I was involved in uh in those in those businesses actually mostly in the consumer business and then later lighting and uh healthcare uh so that's the first thing um i think the first point i'd like to make is you stay with the company at least i stayed with the company because there were there was a great fit in terms of values i think when you are young looking for a job it's important to make sure that the cultural fit is there And for me, Phillips, the values that company has resonated really well. So I stayed uh, for 25 years. And the second thing that was important is that, you know, I was allowed to grow. So it was amazing working for a company that you could literally plan your growth. So I and that's something that I always encourage young people to do is take ownership of your own career. Decide on the experiences, decide on the locations. If you're working for a big multinational, it's very easy to get swallowed up. So Mm -hmm. I think it's always good to make the right network and connections um, and have no fear about trying different things. So I started my career and during the course of those 25 years, I did market research. Then I went into marketing. Then I went into, uh, and that was upstream marketing. So really around product creation. Then I did marketing that was regional, so managing countries um, and downstream marketing. Then I did sales. Then I went back into upstream marketing uh, to do a more global role. And then I came back out into this region in 2004 to essentially run businesses and have a
0: PL l experience. So not only did you kind of move around geographically, you moved around kind of within the company, experiencing different like sectors within that one company. Absolutely. Like, how would you say you kind of benefited from doing that? There's kind of the obvious you saw a lot more, but is there any way in particular that you really benefited from that geographical and movement across within that large company?
1: Yeah. So let's first talk about within the sectors, I think moving in different sectors allows you to experience completely different business challenges. So the consumer goods industry is very different in the way that businesses are done, in the way you market, in the way you plan, in the kind of business models you have, the customers you have, compared to uh, healthcare, for example, right? One is B2C, one is B2B. Um, you know, One is really about sellout of products, a lot of marketing, and the other one is, building a long-term plan with uh, a hospital somewhere, right? Where mm-hmm. it takes a while to actually get products in, but once you're in, it's taking it beyond the product, but much more around services and solutions. So you learn a lot, the dynamics around different industries are very different. They're not only different within B2B and B2C, but they're you know, definitely between the two. So I feel lucky and privileged that I was able to experience both. Um, and in fact, in my last role, when I was the CEO of all three businesses out in Asia, mm-hmm. really, the diversity is what kept me so inspired. I loved it. And uh, I was just learning new things every day. And then um, the other one was geographical. I think working in different cultural environments, environments and trying to understand um, the nuances of how you would do business there, as well as the opportunities and the challenges, um that's a fabulous experience I mean I I grew up in the UK so um uh I always wanted to work in different markets
0: to experience just cultural diversity yeah no that's that's awesome and what I really like about what you're saying is um that kind of continuous um learning because I think you know as you know this podcast and is you know what it was And now it's moving towards like me as college age and that kind of thing. There's kind of this mindset sometimes I feel like that once you start in like a big multinational company, like that's kind of when learning stops and maybe you'll go and do a post-grad degree or something. But like, I really like how you've incorporated this kind of lifelong learning and like dynamic nature of like being in different sectors and learning different cultures and learning different ways to like manage people and stuff and how that resonates all the way through like your 25 years at Philips and I'm sure after that as well but that learning didn't stop when you joined this big multinational it like was just not at all and learning shouldn't stop it doesn't matter
1: what you do if you live a life without learning I'm not I'm not even sure that's possible (laughs) I think you are constantly learning and the whole point is it's just how much do you want to learn and I think um what keeps me inspired, energized, enthusiastic is just different challenges and different complexities that come with different situations, different countries, different businesses. And and that's really a lot of fun. So, you know, I think it would be an incredibly boring life yeah. just to do the same thing again and again. So I look for diversity and challenge and I grow from it. And I think a lot of people do, to be honest. It's not just me
0: yeah no absolutely and then so and then this transition out of phillips you um left this big multinational company where you like you said you were kind of focusing on three different like con- kind of consumer markets and that kind of thing and you moved into um more of an advisory kind of entrepreneurship role with apac medical Re- resmed with medical devices being the advisor for a bunch of places how is that moving from this like massive multinational organization that you were the head of into a bit more of like a governance role if if that's the right way to describe it um afterwards yeah so i think everybody hits a
1: certain stage in their lives when you want to do different things and i've been with philips for 25 years i think um i was ready to take on different challenges i was ready uh to operate at a different level. So the first decision that I made, and it was a big decision, was indeed to leave the company and stay out here in this region. Um, I have always at least, I've always enjoyed working out here and I've been here now for decades. Um, So I wanted to stay here and operate at a different level. So the first thing that I wanted to do was to do board work. So I'm sitting on the board now of three companies. so the first one is, of course, ResMed, uh, which is you know, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. They have a market cap of over 30 billion. It's a market leader in sleep apnea, digital solutions, so devices and a digital platform um, around managing sleep apnea. So sitting on the board of a company like that is a, is it, was for me you know, a great opportunity to learn about how things are done at a board level it was my first board um, and, and you're not operationally running a business. You're actually looking at the long-term strategy of the company and how you are enabling the CEO and the teams to deliver that. So my roles at Philips, you know, even though I was the CEO out here, so they were that last role was less operational. There's still operational roles because you're delivering a PL. Um, but in a board role, you're not the CEO together with his team or her team are delivering the P&L. You're really looking at long term shareholder value. So big step, new learning. Uh, and then I joined now I'm on two other boards, board of Amway, which is um, in the consumer space. And I've actually just joined that board. So I'm super excited because I think that brings me back into the consumer space. Okay. And they do a big part of their business out here in this region. So that's definitely interesting and somewhere where I think I can add uh, value. And
0: yeah. then the last
1: board is a privately owned family business um, that is, uh, is in the apparel and athleisure wear business. So they're uh, manufacturers in this space. Very different. Um, so this goes back to my early earlier point. So I'm now in healthcare, consumer and completely different segment that a uh, domain but also the domain is different but the role of the uh, company is different it's an oem supplier and they're in a category that i've never really managed but the challenges are interesting different challenges and um but at the end of the day everybody's looking for more or less for innovation for growth yes uh, for having the right organization in place so you know, I think you can bring all of your experiences together to contribute. Um, I think in all of them, what I would bring to the table, things that I learned at Philips, I think first and foremost is emerging markets,
0: Mm. is the
1: consumer side of the business, is also, if I look at it, a certain level of operational excellence because you know I, I ran businesses operationally. So when, it, when I'm talking to, for example, MAS, which is one of the boards that I sit on, it really is about their footprint and it really is about you know, how they're expanding and what's, you know, what would be the best way to do that. So <clears throat> that's more the board level work, which is, uh, is fascinating and stretching and helps me grow. And then in addition to that, I'm also um, running the uh, only regional trade association in healthcare. So we have all of the big medical device companies as members, you know, the J&Js, Medtronics, Abbott, Roche, Siemens, uh, you know, and I'm just naming a few, but, you know, we have close to 300 members. Yeah. So we work together as an industry to really um, see how we can move the needle in the markets around healthcare access. So if you're in the healthcare industry, I think everybody understands how complex
0: regulated um, the industry is. And actually, yeah, with the, with all the regulations and requirements of health. Exactly.
1: And very slow to change. Um, But also in this region, uh, in some of the markets, there's a lack of capability as well, especially in areas like ASEAN. Um, if you look at this region, uh, you know very little is actually spent on healthcare still. So we want to work on the ground together as an industry to push um, progress, actually drive progress with policymakers in healthcare on making
0: certain solutions available faster and cheaper. So, so I have a bunch of questions about that one. Oh my goodness, <laughs> so many, so many questions about that one. Um, And so in my little LinkedIn um, stock, um, stock might be a bit of an aggressive word, um, research. Um, You mentioned, like I I found a 2015 article about you talking uh, with the World Economic Forum about healthcare for mothers. And in that you're already kind of talking about this mobile telecommunications and that kind of being the future and that how we're gonna hit sustainable development goals and how, you know, this kind of telehealth idea before it was a thing. So I feel like during the pandemic, telehealth became um, a really, really big topic in the media and a really, really big topic with um, kind of everyone. Everyone's talking about how, you know, about healthcare and, you know, how are we going to innovate in healthcare? But that's something that clearly you were talking about since 2015, probably earlier. Um, And I was wondering how like that space has changed kind of like post-pandemic, during the pandemic, you know, you you clearly are sitting on this um, almost like conglomerate of a bunch of um, healthcare companies and figuring out how to work collectively to you know increase your power increase the reach that you guys have and I was just kind of wanted to speak a little bit about that space
1: yeah no no and
0: look you're, you're absolutely
1: spot on um, the pandemic accelerated digital health what do we mean by digital health digital solutions so there are either solutions that are completely digital like telehealth yeah or it's a combination of device with a digital platform. So you will have seen uh, during COVID, um, you know, many things in healthcare change. So I think it was a completely transformative time for us. So first and foremost, the med tech industry was at the forefront of the pandemic fight whether it was our professionals, healthcare professionals, whether it was the, you know, the um, ventilators, whether it was the vaccines. So we were pretty much at the forefront of uh, helping the world fight this pandemic, which was a very difficult time for the industry, but at the same time, an amazing opportunity to shine. And I think just look at how fast vaccines came out, how fast solutions came out to be able to track and trace. So, you know, great time to be in healthcare and also a very proud moment, I would say, for a lot of people who work in healthcare to have seen the kind of contribution that they made. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say is, um, if you look at accelerated solutions, digital health Mm -hmm. and so the whole area of vaccines and testing, these are two areas that accelerated. If, yeah. you, if you just, let's just take vaccines and testing. I mean, who thought we would all understand what an ART was, you know, and we talk about different vaccines and, you know, is it Moderna, is it Pfizer, is it this, is it that? My own mother, you know, who I would say has a sort of basic level of English, she understands the lateral flow test. So, you know, we've become uh, very literate around these sort of solutions. But at the same time, if you look at companies in that space, you know, whether it's Pfizer or whether it's Roche or whether it's, you know, Moderna, all of these companies really accelerated the vaccine. And typically it takes, you know, I don't know how many years, but you know, this was all done within 12, 18, 24 months. So I think that shows us how, how much they would have had to collaborate with each other, um, and, you know, kudos to all of the, the, the companies in that space on getting there, fast for us all. So that's one area. The area you're talking about, digital health. you saw so many digital solutions, you know, the use of the iPhone, track and trace, remote care. So telehealth is all about managing diseases remotely as well, or consultations remotely. And this, these, these um, areas, we've been trying to accelerate them and that, you know, I was talking about it already in 2015 and people were probably talking about it even earlier as well. I think the progress that we made in these last two or three years has been great because suddenly these, <laughs> suddenly these, uh, these uh, technologies have really, really taken on. What is a struggle though, is to get reimbursement around these technologies Mm-hmm. is to do more research around engagement. So, but I'm I'm pretty enthusiastic and optimistic that mm-hmm. you know some of these areas will now be accelerated,
0: which just means for this region, they're they just improve access. Absolutely. No, that's that's kind of like does touch on like a point that I kind of wanted to like kind of move towards which is this, you know, I, I hesitate to use the buzzwords of like social entrepreneurship, impact investing. Um, but I think they're completely relevant um, to like what you've done because you clearly are really, really passionate about this accessibility, especially in this region of like how to make healthcare more accessible. And obviously that comes with a probably like a moral side as well as like a of, of a career side of things. Um, and I was wondering how you like balance that and how much like this kind of social entrepreneurship, social impact, impact investing, being on boards of things kind of influence your career and like just kind of like that kind of thing. And I'd love to see where you kind of feel like taking that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a big question.
1: I think first and foremost, I would have to say that <clears throat> starts with who you work with. So I worked with and still work with companies and organizations that have a social agenda, right? So they're not in it just to make the money. It really is companies who care about their people, care about the environment and care about, you know, whatever space that they're in on making sure, especially in the healthcare space that we have, um, uh, how do, you know, looking at solutions on how we can make healthcare accessible for the masses. Um, If I look at MAS, the company that I sit on the board of uh, that is in the apparel where it's, you know, sustainability is top of the agenda coming up because, you know, being in the apparel industry, there's a lot of waste, whether you're talking about, you know, uh, the kind of fabrics being used, but also the manufacturing processes, right? Yes, and that exactly. company is really um, sustainability is at the core of what it's doing yeah. so for me, it's always been important to work with companies and organizations that feel they have a social responsibility. and I think you know your generation moving forward it's it's an absolute must, right? people want to know about the consequences or the impact that your business is having on the environment around them, and whether that's on the environment, whether that's on, you know, the way you do your uh, procurement and your supply chain to, you know, the kind of diversity and inclusive uh, inclusion policies that you have within the organization. So, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's not a question anymore.
0: It, it, it is a value. And for me, that value has been very important. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I definitely feel like it is. I don't know. Well, I can only I can't speak for my entire generation, but for me, it is something that, you know, is very much like considered. And I think with the med tech side of things, you can totally see how very or like not med tech even, but just like the medical industry in general, how the morals and the impact behind that like is so on the forefront. But even like you said, for the apparels company, like the sourcing, the supply chains, the all that there is a much more of like an ethical question on, you know, on the minds of the people who want to work for this company or who want to consume the products or, you know, so everyone involved is hopefully um, driven by, to a degree of like moral sentiment and that kind of thing. Um, so it's very, very clear to see in your career um, how that's happened. But um, I was just going to like, you know, as we're wrapping up now, um, cautious of your time and everything, um, everyone kind of tends to ask at the end of like interviews, like, oh, what's one thing you do in your career kind of like differently, but I kind of want to turn that around and like an optimistic kind of sense of the word, um, and say like, what is something, one or two things that you really think that you did right. That like, you kind of look back now and you're like, okay, like, I wasn't sure about this decision, but if I was back there making that decision again, I was 100% like, that's where I should have done. That's exactly what I should have done. Um, and because yeah, I feel like a lot of girls, particularly my age or guys or whatever, people who are in my generation, you have two sons who are around my age, um, kind of sit and just, you know, regrets are easy to think of, like sometimes easy to think of. But, you know, positive things are sometimes more difficult. And, you know, where there's one of those crossroads, I feel like could be a really interesting learning point for people my age.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's a it's an interesting question. It always makes me reflect. But I think in a nutshell, I th- it's not so much what I did well, it's what motivated me. So um, I think why you're motivated to do something is important. And for me, it was several things. Firstly was, and I think we've talked about that earlier, right, was a desire to learn and through learning you grow. Mm -hmm. And coupled with that was ambition. So if I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm driven towards results. I'm also then ambitious. I want more responsibility. So ambition is not about the promotions and how you climb up the this corporate ladder. For me, it was really about <clears throat> more responsibility. How can I expand my responsibility? Um, and whether that was from a geographical angle or whether it was, you know, in a vertical uh, uh, way with a business, I always looked for more responsibility and then with that to drive results. So that's I think something um, for me that's important, I really don't think I would have been able to have had a career where I didn't feel motivated and passionate about what I did. So that would be the first thing. And then the second thing is, uh, you know, one of the things um, that I enjoy doing is talking to people. And I think it's so, uh, for me, it was, it was a great opportunity just to meet lots of different people, whether they're in different countries, different businesses. I try to have as many engagements with people as I can. So I'm the kind of person that's out there talking to people because you get so much out of that. And I feel, and I tell that also to my kids, You know, with every interaction you have, no matter whether you've waste, you think you've wasted an hour, you haven't and walk away with having learned at least one thing. Yeah, if not several. So the more you talk to people, the the broader your perspective and the better your your um your thoughts and your views become. Right. So I'm a firm believer that get out there and talk to people, and I think that's something that I naturally enjoy doing. Yeah. So it's an easy part for me. So yeah, I would say those two things. I think work life balance. <clears throat> also, you know, being very clear. You know, if you're a working mum, for me, I was pretty clear. It was never easy, but I was pretty clear about the time that I wanted to spend with the kids. And so my non-negotiables with my jobs in terms of you know how long I was in the office, I was always home for dinner. I didn't fly at the weekends. So you know, when I say always, I mean as much as I could, which was about 80, 90% of the time. So if you have that in your head and those are priorities, that's how we try to balance that. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I don't profess to have had all the answers, but yeah,
0: you just try to make it work. So a little bit of an abrupt end there. She was actually running off to a flight. But I hope that you learn as much from Harjit as I did. I loved sitting down talking to her. Um, She is an incredible woman, as I'm sure you have listened if you've got to this part of the interview um, that you have realized. But stay tuned for Lunch with Auntie because we've got a bunch of, you know, really, really exciting women who are coming on the show and who are in a variety of different fields. And, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. See you guys next time.